So, how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data and massive compute power. But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need. Right. Search HPE GreenLake. This is the Secret Library Podcast. And today, we are wrapping up Season three, The Nourished Writer. So today it's just you and me. And I wanted to take on a topic that comes up a lot with students and I think is really important to address as a nourished writer and as a writer in general. It's a question I get a lot from students, particularly when we're in a relationship where I've read their work. And often people will come to me with a question, some form of the question, is this any good? Is it worth continuing? Do I have talent? Am I on the right track? Is there a point to continuing with this project or with writing at all? And I really want to share my thoughts on this because it betrays so much of what our conditioning is from a young age and how we think about things that are challenging and that we learn and improve in over time. So first of all, I want to debunk this idea of is this any good? Because we have to look at two sides of it. And the first is the motivation for the question. And underneath is a hope, I think, of encouragement or support or the thought, is it worth it for me to continue? And the reason that we're asking, even if someone is just beginning to write, is because of the idea that the writing we've done is evidence of whether or not we're talented or not. And we often believe this about any skill or any ability. If I substitute writing for math, it's a little bit easier to see the parallel. So you often see children in school who either have an easy time with math or they have a more difficult time with it or somewhere in between, of course. But instead of thinking, oh, okay, math is something I'll have to look, work a little bit harder on. It isn't necessarily something that's super easy for me. We often jump to the judgment, oh, I'm not good at math. And this judgment isn't particularly challenged. It's just, oh, those other people are good at math. I'm not good at math. Rather than, hmm, math is something that I can learn. We don't see this feeling of, oh, I can learn this if I'm not able to do it naturally. And this happens a lot with writing as well, in particular with creativity, like drawing, for example. Oh, they're really good at drawing. I'm not good at drawing. But for anybody who's read the book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain and knows that story, drawing is something you can learn. You can learn how to see things differently. And I would argue that writing is the same. So the underlying question in, you know, is my writing any good? Is it worth it? Is looking for evidence. Am I allowed to continue writing? Is this a worthwhile use of my time? 
but whether or not the writing is good at the very beginning is not so useful because the main thing we can think of is the Ira Glass quote about taste, which is included under the episode in the show notes, because I always botch it when I bring it up, is essentially that there's always a gap between what we aspire to do and what we come up with. But to me, this is the point of writing is becoming comfortable and tolerating this gap and how we feel about doing what it takes in order to bridge it. So this comes to the other part of the question. You know, what is good, so to speak, if you imagine me holding up my hands in air quotes? You know, is good an absolute? I don't think so. I don't think that we can say that certain kinds of writing are good and certain kinds of writing are not good. Now we can say, are certain kinds of writing popular? Are people interested in reading certain kinds of writing? Is there a way of approaching writing such that it's easier for the writer, um, easier for the writer or for the reader? And are there structures that are proven to be helpful? Are there conventions that we're used to? Yes, of course. But all of those things we can study and learn. And the question is, how appealing is it to spend the time studying and learning those things and looking at that gap that Ira Glass talks about if there's a gap between what you wanted to accomplish with your writing and then when you share it with readers, what their response is. So if there's a gap between that, then is the thought of of doing what you need to do to figure out how you can close that gap and either become happy with what you're actually accomplishing, what your readers are telling you, or to transform what you have written to get the result you are hoping for. For example, if I think I'm writing a tragedy an incredibly sad book. And then when I share it with people like an editor or beta readers, and they all think it's a brilliant dark comedy, or they think it's incredibly funny, then I'm stuck with the question as the writer, am I okay with this? Is this a positive thing to have this result? Or do I really want the book to be a tragedy? In which case I'll need to go back and look at how I can change it such that readers respond the way I had hoped. So that's the kind of question that you could have. But I want to go further with this idea of is it good or not? Because good is a dangerous concept when we talk about writing. Because good really has a lot more to do with taste and convention than it does with being able to say absolutely whether something is good or not. For example, I don't particularly enjoy horror. I find it too scary. I can handle campy horror, but I'm not going to pick up a horror book and read it. And I might even say, oh, this is terrible. I don't want this. But that's my taste. It could be beautiful writing. It could be exceptionally effective. It's probably very good at terrifying. Um, But I don't want to have that experience as a reader. So that doesn't work for me versus someone like my brother who enjoyed reading her, especially when he was younger, he's thrilled with that result, as are other people I know. It just doesn't happen to be to my taste. So I can't say that that's not good writing. It's just not writing that I particularly enjoy as a reader. And there are so many people in the world 
the thing that's more important is to think about somebody out there is going to be interested in what you're doing if you dedicate to closing that gap between what you wanted to accomplish and what you were able to accomplish. That's really the question, not whether something is absolutely good or not. We can look at periods of art, periods of fashion, periods of culture, and see that different things were in fashion. There was a period when gothic novels were incredibly in fashion, and we would now find them probably campy and ridiculous. So we can't really look for you know, a framework to judge whether or not our writing is worthy of consumption or not. I want to share a paragraph with you, which I often share with students. And it comes from an exercise that my editor asked me to do when I was working on my novel. And one of the things he suggested was to find a book where I thought the writing was ridiculous, basically, or that reading it made me feel, oh my goodness, I can absolutely do better than that, as a way to keep morale. And it's also a reminder that this was published too. Now, granted, the edition I'm going to read from is from 1959. The book is out of date and problematic in many ways. However, it is a published book that many people have heard of. So I'm going to read you the paragraph and then tell you where it's from. And I hope that it it causes you to rethink the idea of good. So the opening of this book, a little girl has fallen and has been brought to her house by the person who found her. And the person who found her was driving in a car before bringing her home to two elderly women that the little girl lives with. So here is where we come to our paragraph. I want to apologize to you, Nancy, for thinking you hit Judy, the woman said. I guess Edna and I lost our heads. You see, Judy is very precious to us. We brought up her mother, who had been an only child and was orphaned when she was a little girl. The same thing happened to Judy. Her parents were killed in a boat explosion three years ago. The poor little girl has no relatives except Edna and me. Now, the first time I read this paragraph, which comes from the first volume of Nancy Drew, I had a stomach ache. I was laughing so hard. There were tears running down my face because, you know, boat explosion, that old, that old chestnut when you kill off a character's parents. And this is a little girl who, these people don't appear later in the book. This happens within the first two pages of this book. People don't talk like this. This dialogue is, there's no resemblance to how people actually talk, even in the 1950s or earlier when this book was published. So we know now that there is no interest in having this kind of info dump dialogue. And yet this book is published and most people who grew up speaking English, know about Nancy Drew. And so, you know, how can we have a judgment about something that is successful versus unsuccessful when we look at something like this? It's simply that trends change, the world changes, and the way that we think about things changes, um, as it should, because there are huge amounts of problems in this book um, that I think it would not have been published given the attitudes, um, racist attitudes of the time and so on that are contained within it. 
However, it's published and people know about it. So this is something we have to consider when we're thinking about, do I have talent? Is it worth continuing to write? This is something that is not happening in a vacuum. It's happening in a particular time and place. And when we are at a particular state in our own lives. Now, the question, is it worth continuing, is an important one as well. Because I think when people ask my opinion as a teacher or as a coach about whether or not I think it's worth continuing with a project or with writing at all, the motivation is to want reassurance and for us to feel that what we're doing is valuable and that there's a purpose in writing. And so to that question, you know, as a desire to be a nurtured writer, I would ask something to ponder. Why do you write? What is the goal you have for writing? There's no right answer to this question, but I think it's an important one to know. It's an important one to think about as you pursue writing goals and work on writing projects. Because a tremendous amount of time can be spent on a book. I'm wrapping up a book that I've been working on for four years. And if my goal as a writer is to write a book in order to gain popularity or to be validated for my creativity, that's a really, really difficult way to go about that. I would be better off writing short stories or publishing things more frequently in order to validate that goal. So it's helpful to think about why do I want to write in the first place? It could be that you have stories coming into your head all the time and you want to write them down. It could be that you're always making up things and you want to explore them. It could be that you love language, that you're interested in the way language works and how we communicate stories. It could be that you want to make money off of selling writing. You know, all of these are valid reasons to write. But if you know your goal, then you might approach it slightly differently. I would say being a novelist and trying to publish traditionally might not be the best way to pursue a lucrative career in writing. I would say writing something more novella length and publishing independently would be a better way to look at making money off of writing. So that's another thing to consider. As a nurtured writer, the best way to know if you are being nurtured by writing is to know what you're hoping to achieve in writing. For me, I can say with confidence, as it is me, that I'm fascinated by the way people work, by the way people think, the challenges that they face, and what makes them achieve a goal or not. I'm also interested in scenarios that cause people to act in different ways than they thought they could, either for positive or for negative. You know, what pushes people beyond their capacity to live a certain way. And for me, the best way to explore these questions is through character. And the kinds of questions I like to explore are novel length questions. And my favorite part of writing novels is dealing with the puzzle and the tangle of these kinds of questions that happens when I'm deep in a draft and when I know my characters really well, but I don't quite know 
how this story is going to play out. And for that reason, I'm very happy to chew on a book for a few years. That, to me, is similar to being an introvert who likes to get into the deep topics of conversation and to make friends that I stay friends with for a long time and get to know very well. That's how I write. That's how I am with my characters. And so that works. And I'm okay with the fact that I'm slower and it's going to be a few years between books. That's part of the process for me. And I have other work that I love doing that... I can do for income and that supports my writing and feeds it. So that's how I think about it. And so I'm okay. But if my goals were different and they were at odds with what I was working on, then it would be necessary to consider and shift them. I think also another thing to think about is the sort of spectrum of who you're writing for. And there's a whole you know, wide span of who the writing is meant to support or change. Interestingly, as I was thinking about this spectrum, as I was preparing to record this episode, I realized that the words and the names for the writing at either end of the spectrum were from the same root. So at one end of the spectrum, we have writing that is solely for the writer, and that's journal writing. That's, you know, you keep a journal, you have a space to digest ideas where you process life. And that's something that I've done since I was about 11. And it's as necessary to me as breathing. But nobody gets to look at that. It's the act of writing that is important. So that's 100% for me. And yet at the other end of the spectrum, at writing that is exclusively for the reader and really has no impact or is not meant to have impact on the writer is journalism rather than journal writing. So journalism is, you know, just the facts, ma'am. The writer is not trying to process their own psychological experiences through it. It's not creative nonfiction. It's not bringing personal experience. Now, in long-form journalism, you may appear, but it's not meant to be psychological in the same way that a memoir is, for example. And so often you will see people who are journalists turning to writing later or different kinds of writing because they want more of themselves in it. They want to have a more meaningful relationship to the subject rather than just communicating facts and an experience with as little bias as possible. So where are you on the spectrum? I mean, fiction and memoir and creative nonfiction hang out more in the middle. It's not 100% for us. You know, it's not a journal that we're writing these stories. And it's not 100% for someone else. We're not removing ourselves from the experience so that our emotions cloud the story. They're meant to cloud the story in fiction and memoir because it's us telling it and that's part of the benefit of it. I find that being able to have both experiences is essential to a satisfying writing process, I guess I'll call it. You know, I often write the first draft a little bit closer to the journal side 
I don't worry so much about cliche or language or the way that it's going to sound to the reader. I'm trying to figure out who the characters are. I'm trying to figure out what happens to them for myself. So the first stage definitely swings on the spectrum closer towards journal. But then when I move towards revision and editing and polishing and proofreading, the process swings much further back towards the reader. It never goes as far as journalism, but I am thinking, okay, is this going to make sense to someone? I have other people read it. I ask them if they're confused. I look at ways I'm, you know, if I'm using the pronoun she 20 times in a paragraph, does everybody know which she I'm talking about? If there are a bunch of women in the space, things like this. And the thing is, this is learnable. These are processes that we can iterate. Every novel, every story starts, I think, closer to the journal end of the spectrum. And that's not the point to judge whether or not it's successful. You're still trying to figure out what it is. And for me to give up on the part of the process that's for myself and isn't yet anticipating the reader's reaction would be to discard much of the nurturing effect of writing. Of course, I'm ultimately hoping to put the book in a reader's hands and for them to benefit from it, but I don't think it makes it any less valuable as a book for me to benefit from it. And part of the way that I do benefit from it is that the book is an iterative process. I don't sit down and write the thing and it's done. And even if I could, I wouldn't want to do it that way because I would miss out on the pondering, the puzzling, the unfolding, and the consideration that needs to happen along the way. That's where I find the enjoyment and the benefit in writing. That's just how it works. And I find it's the whole point. So I would say, if you are thinking and questioning your relationship to writing, the questions I would ask are, why do you write? What's your goal for writing? And is the way you're approaching it one that seems to match that hope or that aspiration? Many people don't like to think that writing is learnable and that it isn't something that you can learn. You're either blessed with the ability to write or not. But I don't agree. The argument that people often think about is one that was made popular by Malcolm Gladwell, the idea of the 10,000 hours that he talks about in Outliers, among other places. And the idea that those who put in 10,000 hours are the ones who become the most successful. He looked in particular at concert musicians for this. So the ones who had 10,000 hours of rehearsal were the ones who were the, the elites and the ones who had six to 7,000 were maybe in an orchestra and the ones less than that were maybe teachers but didn't have that career. So we often look at this as evidence of if you put the work in, you will get there. And I think that's true of writing as well. If you read like a maniac, if you look at the things that you love and say, why do I love this? And you try to look behind the scenes and see how the strings are pulled and what it is about that writing that is particularly satisfying for you, that time will pay off. 
However, the question that we're ignoring, and I think one that is essential to being a nurtured writer, is does this process nurture you? Do you enjoy taking story apart? Do you enjoy reading this much? Do you enjoy looking at how fiction or nonfiction or language works? Is that a way to spend time that you're happy with? Because... If your goal is to make your ideas public, if your goal is to share thoughts, if your goal is to communicate story even, writing isn't the only way to do it. And it's just as important that the process of writing be rewarding for you as it is that you create a result that is enjoyable or desirable to readers. There's no point in torturing yourself, especially given that nowadays we have so many other media available to achieve these goals as well. You might be happier if you struggle with writing and wonder if you should continue. You might be happier storytelling orally. You might be happier with a podcast. You might be happier making videos or films. If you're writing, you know, fiction, you might be happier with screenplays. You know, there's nothing wrong with this. And I think to ignore your enjoyment of the process and the fact that following your curiosity and your enthusiasm is, in, in many ways, the only thing that counts. You know, there is, there's a lot of um, pressure in writing and there's often a long period that you're toiling away, not sure if it's going to result in anything at all. I've talked to so many writers who experience this, yet for everybody who does it, those of us who love doing this and enjoy the questions and consideration that comes up, it's absolutely worth pressing through. But if there's another way you can do this that feels better, by all means, take that road. We don't just need one way to communicate what we want to communicate. It's getting more diverse all the time. So I think this is the question. Not have you put in 10,000 hours? How close are you to 10,000 hours? But do you enjoy the hours that you put in? Do you enjoy the process? Does it delight you most of the time? Because obviously sometimes it's not going to. There are going to be tough days or days when it doesn't work or it feels frustrating. But do you want to put in 10,000 hours or however many hours it really takes to get to the point where you're satisfied with what you're writing? Is that delightful or does it feel like torture? Because if it feels like torture, find another way to do it. Or find another way to approach the same goal and see if that doesn't feel better. I think the myth of the tortured artist is one I am personally extremely invested in dismantling. It's not one that needs to continue. There are plenty of ways for us to feel tortured in this world. A lot of us have experienced many of them this year. And why add to your to the suffering of the world by engaging in a, a torturous creative process. You don't have to suffer to write a good book. And in fact, if you are consistently suffering, then you might want to revisit what you're doing. We've talked 
to a number of people this season about how they approach writing, how writing has taken care of them, and also when they've had to change their approach because things weren't feeling quite right. I'm thinking of Rachel Steven learning how to walk away from a project when writing it was no longer rewarding for her. I'm thinking of Helen Redfern, who shared so much of her writing life and the process that she was taking, and that putting it online was distracting her from the parts of writing that she liked. And by the same token, things that at the beginning maybe look scary and difficult are possibly really rewarding for you. Like Kami Nekvapil, who talked about when an idea scares her, she knows she has to write it because of the benefit it's going to bring her. So only you know what's the most productive and what's the most nurturing approach for you to take. That's the ultimate judge. And so I want to offer this as my final thought for this season. And that is that you are the judge of whether or not your writing is succeeding at the goal you've set for it. You can get feedback from the outside world, see how they react, see where they're confused, see where they need more information or where they don't need so much in order to understand what you're trying to say. But ultimately, you're the one with the goal for the piece. And so you're the judge of whether or not it succeeds. You're the judge of whether or not your writing is successful. And I think that once you are the one in charge, then it will be so much easier to be nurtured as a writer. Don't outsource the judgment of success. Don't let anyone else define what success is for you. Because for some people, it might be writing a book that they want to share with family, and that's plenty. That's what they wanted. And I've seen examples of this be very satisfying. For someone else, it might be wanting to publish a book traditionally. For someone else, it might be independent. Everyone has a different goal. And that doesn't play into whether something is good or not. I think the most nurturing thing we can do for our writing is to discard the question, is this any good? That's probably the least useful question you can ask about a book. It's more, am I enjoying what I have to discover or what I have to learn in order to make this book what I want it to be? Is this the idea I'm most excited about and that I really want to be engaging with? And do I overall enjoy the time that I spend writing? And if the answer is yes, then keep going. If the answer is no, then look at it more closely and see if you can't change it. Because writing does not have to be painful. Writing does not have to be painful. I want to say that again. Writing is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. So the least you can do to feel nurtured is to make it enjoyable. It's been such a pleasure exploring this topic this season. And I am so grateful to all of the letters and notes and comments and various feedback I've gotten 
I originally conceived of this season's theme thinking, oh, we've all been pretty beat up this year. Let's take on a topic that's a little bit warmer and fuzzier. And this topic ended up being quite a bit fiercer than I thought, but in the best possible way. So I'm really, really happy that this is what we looked at this fall and into the winter here in my, in my little my little hideaway in Berlin. Um, it's been wonderful speaking to people all over the world and getting their takes on this topic. If this season has been meaningful to you, I would love to ask a favor. If you can leave a rating and review, particularly on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, it would mean so, so much because the more ratings and reviews we have and the more frequently this happens, the more people are able to find the show. So if you haven't yet even just clicked on the stars, that would be such a gift. And I'm so grateful to those who have done this already. If you're able to leave a review as well, so much the better. That means a lot. And we will be continuing with solo episodes, Q&As, and other ways to stay in contact between seasons over at the Patreon. So if you want to stay in contact and hear about next season's theme and potential guests a little bit ahead of the rest of the world, you'll really enjoy the community over at Patreon. You can check it out at patreon.com slash secret library. Thank you so much for listening this season, and I'll see you in 2021. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.